0: Easter week was, was the week that changed everything. It changed everything. I love what uh, Watchman Nee, he, he was a church leader um, back in the 20th century, a Chinese church leader, ended up dying in a communist prison camp. But he, he put it like this. He said, our old, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. You see, the cross... The suffering and death of Jesus, it accomplished some pretty big things. It opened the way for us to be made right with God. It opened the way for us to be able to know God intimately, to have friendship with God. It forever erased any doubts that, that, that anybody could have about God's character. Only a good and loving God would lay down his life on a cross in such a horrible fashion for people he loves. But if it all ended with the cross... If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Bible says this. It says our faith is useless. If Jesus' body is still in that tomb today, all of this is in vain. We have just all fallen prey to the greatest deception in all of history. If God's dead, it's all for nothing. But let me read to you how it actually went down. The Bible says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb... And saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And when he saw how the linen was still there, he saw that the tomb was empty. He, he saw what the, the evidence. He goes, okay, this is not the work of grave robbers. Something else must have gone down here. And the Bible says that he saw and believed. Peter and John then head back to where they're staying, and later on that same night, as the disciples are all huddled together in a house, they had the doors locked. They weren't full of hope; they were full of fear that the same guys that had arrested Jesus and crucified him were going to be coming for for them as well. And they're there, huddled in this 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 room, with with a little bit of excitement, maybe just stirring beneath the surface about the empty tomb, but they've got lots of questions. Lots of fear. And into that moment, the Bible says this. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Today, you could take a little trip to Jerusalem There's actually talks in the work about maybe taking a bunch of people from this church next year. But you could take a trip to Jerusalem, and near the heart of the city, there's an ancient garden. And in that garden, you're going to find a tomb, a hole in in the the side of this this massive rock. And, And you could go into that tomb, and you'll see that the tomb is empty. And on the door of that tomb is inscribed these words, He is not here, for He is risen. You see, on the cross, he conquered sin, but when he rose from the grave, he conquered death. Once and for all, it is finished, he's alive, he, he is victorious today, amen? But maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, okay, Rich, you're talking about the cross and the resurrection and how everything has changed because of that, but Rich, I'm really not so sure. I mean, think about it, Rich, before he rose from the dead, there was pain and suffering, and and there's still pain and suffering. Before he rose from the dead, people still, people died. And today, people still died. Before he rose from the dead, there was wars. And, and, and Rich, as you know, there, there's, there's lots of wars going on today. As if Jesus is alive, what's actually changed? What has changed? And to help us understand today what has changed, I want to focus in on some of the events that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And I'd love to this morning kind of hone in on one guy in particular, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Peter, if, if you've heard this story about Peter's life, you know that he was just an ordinary blue-collar fisherman when he first met Jesus. One day after, after him and his fishing companions had been out all night fishing and hadn't caught anything, Jesus comes along and he tells them to go out and cast their nets one more time. Peter reluctantly obeys. He's thinking, okay, who's this religious guy telling me a fisherman how to fish? But he reluctantly goes out, casts the nets one more time, and he ends up catching the biggest bunch of fish that he's he's ever caught in his life. Jesus ends up inviting Peter to follow him, to be one of his disciples, and Peter leaves behind everything. He leaves behind the boat, he leaves behind the nets, he leaves behind the hundreds of flopping fish on the beach that were represented the biggest payload of his career, leaves all that behind to follow Jesus. And then from there, Peter's life just takes this massive shift. He goes from casting nets out in some little backwater village on on some lake out in the middle of nowhere. He goes from that to kind of being put in the spotlight, working alongside of Jesus as Jesus is teaching thousands of people, as Jesus is healing people. He's feeding thousands of people. Peter goes from from, from small town to all of a sudden, there he is out there with Jesus. But then three years into this journey, everything goes sideways for Peter. Instead of setting up an earthly kingdom like Peter was expecting Jesus to do, Jesus gets arrested, and then he gets sentenced to death. He gets put on trial and crucified. Peter goes from being on top of the world to literally being terrified for his life. In fact, he's so terrified in the moments around Jesus' arrest and crucifixion that the Bible tells a story about he, he ended up abandoning Jesus, betraying Jesus, and actually ended up denying that he even knew Jesus, denied it three times. And on the third time, as he's denying Jesus and as the words are just escaping his lips, he's close enough to Jesus that Jesus actually turns and looks at Peter. And Peter is so distraught in that moment that the Bible says, He runs away, he runs out, and he weeps bitterly. He has a complete breakdown. Fast forward three days. Peter has seen the empty tomb. He's seen the linen body wrap lying on the ground. He was in the room when Jesus showed up. He was there again a week later when Jesus showed up again to show Doubting Thomas his hands and his feet. Peter was there. And and I imagine, as I'm kind of sitting here this, this, this last week just thinking about this i imagine that for peter in this moment he is both full of joy over the resurrection of jesus but he's also full of shame at the same time full of guilt because he clearly remembers the way that he betrayed and abandoned jesus when jesus needed him the most and maybe now that jesus is back on the scene Peter is desperately wanting to to have a moment with Jesus. Maybe he's got his apology speech prepared, kind of like the prodigal son. He he wants to tell Jesus that he's sorry, pull him aside, but the timing is never right. There's always other people around. And to make things even more difficult, Jesus just kind of shows up out of nowhere. He just kind of flashes in. He shows up, walks through some walls. There he is. Peace be with you. And then he just kind of, boof, there he's gone. He just shows up, and then in a flash, he's gone. And for Peter, this has just got to be one of the strangest times of his life. In the span of three days, he's gone from total elation to total despair, and then back again to total elation. It's been an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. There's all the joy of knowing that Jesus is alive, and yet, and yet, He's weighed down with this tremendous sense of guilt and shame. He might even been asking himself the same question that some of you may be walked in the room with this morning. He might have been saying, yes, Jesus is alive, but has anything, has anything really changed? I want to go back to the story found in the book of John that we read about earlier on. Jesus is alive. And at the point of this story, he's appeared to the, the disciples two times. But nevertheless, even though Jesus is alive, even though he's appeared two times to the disciples, we find the disciples in a place where they're directionless, they're leaderless. Jesus hasn't really given them a whole lot of direction since he's come back. And we find the disciples all just kind of floundering. But Jesus is about to change all this. The Bible says this. It says it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, who for all of history shall remain nameless, (laughs) were together. And then listen to what Peter says. Peter, who had left his fishing career, Peter who had left the boats, left the nets, left all of that, that, that life that he once knew, left it all behind to follow Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And then they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus is alive. Peter has seen him. And yet he still decides to go back to his old lifestyle, the one that he left behind in the first place. And I wonder this morning maybe if there's somebody in the room that is in the same boat, no pun intended, as Peter. Way back in the day, you were just going through life, doing life your own way, when you began to hear that gentle, loving voice deep down inside, calling out to you, inviting you to come and follow him. And when you heard that voice, you said yes, and you were like Peter, so excited about Jesus that you were willing to leave behind whatever it took to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. Like Peter did, you left the old for the new, but then somewhere along the way, things changed. Life got hard maybe you just got busy but in the end you drifted away from jesus and went back to doing life your way instead of doing life god's way and i imagine peter as as he gets back out there fishing i imagine at first he's probably just loving it he's probably going man this is what i was made for he's out there on the boat he's got the fresh uh, wind blowing in his face he's got the seagulls chirping overhead He's got the feel of the nets in his hands once again. He's probably just feeling so alive back there doing what, what he used to do. But then soon things begin to get sour. The Bible says that as Peter and the guys were out fishing, they weren't catching a single thing. Eventually it got dark, night fe- nightfall settled in, and they still hadn't caught a thing and like every fisherman will do at the end of the day, if they haven't caught anything, they say, okay, just one more cast. Maybe this one will be the one. Nothing okay, just one more cast. This will be the one. Can't go home skunk. Peter and the boys, they, they cast the nets out over and over and over again, and pretty soon the sun began to slowly peak its way over the Galilean hills. And without even realizing it, they had been fishing all night long. And the Bible says that night they caught nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know exactly what Peter was feeling in this moment. But I think I have a pretty good idea because I've I've been in this place. When I was following God with everything I had, loving him with all my heart, but then life got hard or I just got busy. And before I knew it, I had either intentionally or unintentionally just kind of walked away from doing life God's way. And I wish I could say this has only happened in my life a couple times, but reality, it, it hasn't. It's happened many times for many different reasons. And every time it happens, though, I always end up like Peter, tired, weary, left holding a bunch of empty nets, lacking the joy and the peace that I thought I might find from going back to doing life the old way. There's a lot of reasons why we walk away from doing life God's way. One of the big reasons is disappointment with God or ourselves. We put some pretty high expectations on God, don't we? I mean, after all, he is almighty God, all-powerful, almighty, uh, all-loving. You know, shouldn't he come along and, and make my life go a whole lot easier than it's going? Shouldn't he kind of pave the way for the good life for me? And then, as, as, as it always happens in a broken world, hardships come marriages fail loved ones unexpectedly pass away people get let go from their job the church that we thought would be there for us isn't and before we know it we're disappointed in drifting away from God or maybe like Peter we get disappointed with ourselves we go okay I'm just trying so hard to live life the right way but I just keep screwing up I just can't do it and then we we drift away Another reason people walk away from God is the weariness of religion. And there's a lot of people that end up in this boat. Maybe at one time you knew your life was broken, and so you thought, okay, I'm going to walk into a church, but rather than find Jesus, you found religion. There's a big, big, big difference between Jesus and religion. You came in, and you, you learned all the rules. You tried really hard to behave the right way. To hopefully earn God's favor. And pretty soon you just gave up. You felt like a failure because you just could not meet the standard. No matter how hard you tried. Trying to behave right just got too exhausting. And you realized this religious thing wasn't leading to joy. It was only leading to despair. And so you did what everybody does at some point. If they're all about religion, just walk away. Drift away. Hop back in the boat, so to speak. And go back to fishing. Another reason people walk away from God in his way is is being deceived into thinking there's a better way. You're like Eve in the Garden of Eden, looking at that tree. You're thinking, I know God said don't eat from it, but man, it looks so delicious. Chasing after worldly success, chasing after popularity, it looks so amazing. Making life all about money, all about possession, just accumulating a bunch of stuff. It looks so, so good. Those drugs, that lifestyle, God must be holding out on me. And so worldly desires entice you, and you just drift away from God. It doesn't matter how it happens. Whenever you try to live life your way rather than God's way, you end up like Peter with nothing, just left holding a bunch of stinking fishing nets, wondering how life could have gone so sideways. So Peter and the boys, they've been fishing all night, when the Bible says, says, words that to the ears of the disappointed, to the ears of the weary, to the ears of the broken and the tired and the captive and those who have failed are some of the most amazing words to hear. And and they're words that really should not be possible in light of the fact that, that just recently, not even a week and a half prior, Jesus was lying dead in a tomb. But nevertheless, because of Easter morning, these words are possible. The Bible simply says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. In the middle of Peter's despair, his guilt, his shame, his weariness, in walks Jesus, the resurrected king, the savior. And he comes and he just stands there and he sees Peter and the guys out in the boat. And there he is on the shore. And I just absolutely love this about Jesus you know, if it would have been, would have been me in that, that situation, this is what I would have done. I would have gone marching into Caesar's palace, not the casino, the, the real Caesar's palace. I would have gone marching in there, gone marching up to Caesar and been like, okay, it's me, Jesus. You know, the one that they crucify? I'm here. I'm the real deal. And then what I would have done is I would have gone out to all the big cathedrals, all the big religious buildings. I would have gone to all the religious leaders, and I would have been like, okay, you tried to put me down, but hey, here I am, take this in your face, bam. But not Jesus. You see, Jesus has never been interested in changing political systems or even religious system systems. He's always been interested in changing broken hearts and lives. So rather than show up at a palace, Rather than show up at some big grand religious building, he shows up on a beach. He has a meeting to keep with a bunch of grubby, sweaty, smelly old fishermen. And as he's standing on the shore, the Bible says that at first, the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Isn't that just the question you ask when you're walking by the lake and somebody's out fishing? How's the fishing going? Catch any fish? The disciples holler back, no, we haven't caught a thing to which Jesus decides to give them some very unusual fishing advice. There's something about Jesus. He just loves to give fishing advice. If you're a fisherman, maybe when you're out fishing next time, pray. He might tell you what lure to use. I don't know. But, But he gives this advice. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This scene has happened before. And the disciples realize, it dawns on them, okay, this is Jesus on the beach. The Bible says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. Apparently, Peter didn't like the fish with a bunch of clothes on. He, take, he puts it back on, jumps into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus has been bit busy getting breakfast ready. And then he invites them to eat with them. And they, after they were finished eating, Jesus does something that he loves to do with those who have wandered away from his way and back to their own way. He, 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 he doesn't rebuke Peter for the betrayal and denial. He doesn't stand there and wake his fist at Peter and say, Peter, you should have known better. Peter, where were you? Peter, didn't you know what was happening to me? He doesn't condemn. He doesn't judge. Instead, he lovingly goes after Peter's heart. He looks at Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Many scholars think that Jesus was looking at the boat and the nets and, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, because Jesus knows, okay, he knows Peter denied him three times, and so he's, he's restoring Peter here. And so he says to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I wish in this moment that we could have a glimpse into Peter's heart because I'm pretty sure what we would see in this moment is all the guilt and the shame and the heaviness and the burden of having walked away from Jesus. We would see all that begin to just wash away as Jesus comes along and he restores Peter. He reinstates Peter. He, he, he looks at Peter and Peter can see the love in his eyes. He, he sees that, that things haven't changed. Jesus is removing any barriers that might have been in place. And if Peter had been asking the question, did Jesus' resurrection really change anything, he just got his answer. Peter would go on to be a a key leader in this this fledgling movement called the church. In his very first sermon that Peter ever preached, he would declare these words to thousands of people. He, He said this, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible For death to keep its hold on him. Peter had encountered the risen Jesus and he was forever a changed man. And here's the question for all of us in the room this morning. The question is this. Does the risen king really make a difference? Does he make a difference? And the answer to that question is actually, it depends. It depends. To a planet of despairing, broken, captive people... Who see Jesus as nothing more than a legend, nothing more than some myth that was created way back in the day, it makes no difference whatsoever, at least not yet. But to those who have received the gift of Jesus, the one who is our rescuer, our Lord and Savior, it makes a world of difference. When you see Jesus as nothing more than a legend, it doesn't change anything, but when you see Jesus as the risen Savior, it changes everything, amen? Amen. For starters, it, it, it begins with, you're given a brand new start. The Bible says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus takes all of our failures, he takes our brokenness, our hearts that are filled with sin, and he makes them brand new. It's a new day with Jesus. You're a new creation. I love how Jesus put it. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another change that Jesus brings is this. You can now rest in the finished work of the Savior. You know, maybe the Jesus that, that you found in the past was not really Jesus at all. It was just simply religion. It was religion minus Jesus. It was a bunch of rules. It was show up to church every week. It was you need to read your Bible every single day. It was you need to tithe 10% of your income. Don't swear. Don't sleep around. Tidy up your appearance. Act well behaved. Do this. Do that. That's not Jesus. That's religion. And it is exhausting. It's exhausting. I love what author Lee Strobel says. He says, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people Live. That's why he came. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. His offer to you today isn't to take up some new religion called Christianity. That's not what he's offering you here today. What he's offering you here today is himself. He's saying, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living water that you've been looking for. I'm I'm the one who who can satisfy your heart's deepest desires that you're so desperately trying to get satisfied in someone or in something else. He's offering you life-giving relationship with him, following him wherever he leads. Another change that he brings is this. uh, Now you can face death with confidence rather than fear. This last year, I was... I was at the bedside of someone who was getting ready to cross over the threshold of death. I was with somebody who was in, was in their last moments. And, and I got hit really, really hard. And as I, as I was walking out of the, the hospice house that afternoon, I, I was in a place that I hadn't been in. I was terrified. I was, I was thinking, what would it be like if it was me in that place? And, and it, I've never doubted my faith like I did that day. Never doubted my faith like that. I was questioning what was really on the other side. I was full of despair. The death was so final. I was I found myself just kind of sinking lower and lower and lower as I contemplated the the unknown of the other side. And I was I was there in this place. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes along and whispers so gently in my ear, Hey Rich, you're forgetting something here. You're forgetting something. There is somebody who's already walked this journey. Somebody has actually already gone on before and taken the sting out of death. Someone has conquered this thing and has lived to tell about it. You see, for the believer in Christ, death no longer marks the end. Instead, it becomes this incredible new beginning. You know, we could spend all day talking about all the changes that, that Jesus brings, but the last one I want to mention this morning is one that is particularly meaningful to us here at CTK, and that's, that's simply this. You can live knowing there's always forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Always. There is always forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Should you today go, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you everything I've got. And then five years from now, you just completely blow up your life, completely walk away from him. There is always Forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. You could be here this morning and you're going, man, I have just made such a mess of my life. I've wandered far away from God. I, I, I just, I, I've just, just gone down to a really bad, bad place. I've, I've probably, Jesus is probably going, man, no, not, not you. But, but look at the Jesus of this, 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 this passage of Scripture. He is standing on the shore with arms wide open. Offering forgiveness, complete, total, full forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. You have two choices when it comes to the message of of Easter. Either let it simply be an annual event, a legend, something that's kind of in your mind made up by people way back in the day. Just kind of let it stay in that realm when it comes to the message, message of Easter. Or you can embrace all this message means and let it change your life. Let it change your life. And in the end, what changed for Peter was he makes this new commitment to Jesus. He makes this new commitment. Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm coming back to you. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you this morning to do the same thing. Every single person in this room, the offer is for you. The invite is to you to make a commitment to Jesus. Even if you're here today, you've been following Jesus for the last 45, 50 years. Jesus is here today, this this, this morning. He's alive. The resurrected king is here, and, and, and he's inviting you to make a new commitment to him. To let this Easter be the Easter you say, Jesus, I'm going all in with you all over again. Jesus, I'm making my life all about you. Jesus, I've let it be about some other things. i made some other things more important than you, but but today I'm making it all about you. And there might be somebody here this morning that maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You're you're here this morning. Someone invited you to Easter service. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go. The invite is for you as well. It is not an accident that you are here this morning. Jesus is here to meet you. The risen, resurrected King is inviting you to come and follow Him. My invitation to you today is to come to the feet of the resurrected Jesus, making Him your Lord and Savior to fully, completely put your faith and trust in Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, You truly are the risen Savior. Lord, You are here right now in this place No, we can't see you, but God, we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus, you are here, and we can see you, God, in the different stories and the people in this room who have had their lives just completely turned around by the resurrected king. Lord, I thank you for the men and the women and the students in this room, Jesus, who represent stories this morning of, of just the transformation that you bring to our lives. Jesus, you truly are glorious, you're great, you call us out of darkness into light, you're so good, you're so faithful, you're so full of grace, Jesus, we worship you because you're so, so good, Lord, I thank you that you're here, and God, I pray that this morning, God, you would make yourself known in a, in a brand new way, God, to those that have been following you a long, long time, and God, to those this morning who have never followed you before, like Jesus, this morning, they hear your voice right here in this moment, calling out to them. And as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I just want to ask a question this morning of everybody in the room. And, and I'm, when I when ask this question, I'm just going to ask if you would just indicate a, a yes by a show of hands. And my question is simply this. Whether you've been following Jesus for 40 years, a long, long time, or whether you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, are you willing this morning, with every head bowed, eyes cl- eye closed, are you willing this morning to make a fresh, Commitment to following Jesus. If that's you, shoot your hand up nice and high. Awesome, so awesome. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you this morning, that God, for the the longtime follower of Jesus, and the person this morning that is a first time follower of Jesus. God, this is a brand new day, a new beginning. God, you have, you have so many great things in store. God, you've given us nothing but a hope and a future. God, you, you, you are causing all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, it's, it's, it is good days ahead because, Jesus, we have you. Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in our hearts this morning. God, light a fire in our hearts. God, may we leave this, this building this morning, walk out into the sunshine, God, full of, of, of a new energy, God, a new passion for you, Jesus, a new level, a depth of commitment for you. God, thank you that you're here. God, thank you that you're so present working in our lives right now. And God, I pray that God, as, as, as we go out in, in the resurrection power, following the resurrected king. God, I pray that we would be like Peter, God, that we'd be like those disciples, that we would be more than willing to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. God, I pray that this message that we have, the resurrected king, would not end at the the front door this morning. But God, may we take this out to our neighborhoods. God, may we take this out to our workplaces. God, may we take this out to the world around us. God, may we live differently because, Jesus, you are living inside of us. The Spirit of God that raised you from the dead lives in us. God, may we take this good news, God, wherever we go. May we be a shining light, shining like a city on a hill. Father, I pray all these things in your good, good name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen.